So glad that you are here today. I'm excited about um, just launching into this new year and what 2020 is going to have for us individually and corporately. And I hope that you have had a great Christmas. I uh, hope you enjoyed time off, time with family. Um, how many of you just would say, I ate a lot over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. That's just part of it, right? Just kind of goes with it. And uh, it's, it's part of the holidays. And I thought, what a fitting way to step into the new year is to talk about food. And so here we are in this brand new series called Taste and See. And I got to tell you this this phrase, taste and see, say it with me, taste and see, this phrase um, caught my attention and to the point where I know that God is speaking to me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but sometimes I just, there's just phrases or ideas that I just can't let go of, and I know that God is speaking. And it comes from Psalm 34. Let's read it together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's interesting. We just sang that new song to help us remember that. And I hope that this verse you'll put to memory over the next several weeks, to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to unpack this verse over the next few weeks so that we understand it and so that God can speak into our lives from it. Uh, Long before the Food Network and Rachel Ray and Bobby Flay or Guy Fieri, any of those guys were around, food played a major role in the pages of the Bible. I don't know if you've realized that. But back in the beginning of time even, back in Genesis, God said, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your what? Food. Is that interesting? Food. In fact, I want you to get this down right away on your outline. God made humanity to be dependent on food. And aren't you glad for that? Well, at least... Part of that, right? I mean, this next point you're going to be even, you know, more excited about. But I, I think it's an amazing thing that he has made us dependent on food. God could have required us to survive on air or water, which we do need those things. But food didn't even have to be in the picture. It could have been anything. We could have been eating dirt, right? That could have been our thing. But he made food, made us dependent on food. He designed us so that food is not an option. So if anybody ever, you know, looks over at you and you're eating, you're chowing down on something and they say, wow, you're hungry today, just tell them, Bart said, food is not an option. To say it with me, food is not an option, right? Okay, it's a necessity, right? God has designed us this way. Then we read in Genesis 2, verse 9, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground Trees that were pleasing, notice that word, interesting word, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So even more than just making food a necessity, I want you to get this one down. God made food to be a source of pleasure for us. How many of you have enjoyed good food over the last couple of weeks? I have. Yeah. It's, it's, there's something about this. Uh, I mean, it's almost like God made us to be foodies. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, God made you a foodie. He did. Now, if you don't know what that is, look it up. But, but it's, it's this idea, this um, drive towards enjoying food. But let's take this even further. Food in the Bible is more than just something to be consumed. What's interesting is it's often in the Bible sacred and symbolic. In fact, 
I've discovered that food plays a prominent role in some of the most spiritually significant events in the Bible. And I would challenge you to start looking through the Bible, and you'll discover the same thing. I, I, I've got a few that I just wanted to, to highlight today. Uh, Genesis 18, Abraham's wife Sarah prepared food for angels who shared with them the timeline of her upcoming pregnancy. In Genesis 42, as famine was threatening the world, Joseph provides food for his family and literally the world. Exodus 12, the Passover meal begins a new life for the Hebrews. Um, Numbers 13, scouts return from the promised land with a single cluster of grapes that's so big it has to be carried by two guys on a pole. Anybody ever seen grapes that size? Wow. The course of Ruth's life is changed by the provision of food in the book of Ruth. 1 Samuel 25, Abigail brings food to David to calm the circumstance. Daniel 1, four Hebrew men only eat a strict diet to follow God. Esther makes her request to the king over a good meal. And then we find so many food references, uh, food metaphors, all throughout the writings of the Psalms and Proverbs. Food and eating continues all the way through the Old Testament. And then when Jesus enters the picture in the New Testament, what do we see? <laughs> Jesus is first attending a wedding feast. You know that story, right? A wedding reception, but there's a problem. They run out of wine for the reception, which is a huge disgrace, not only for the family, but for the entire wedding party. And they couldn't run to Vons or Costco to pick up, you know, some more. So Jesus' mother asked Jesus to do something about the scenario. And look at what takes place in John 2. Standing nearby were six stone water jars. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. And take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine. Let's, let's read that again. When he tasted the what? The water that was now wine. This is a miracle that took place here. Not knowing where it had come from, though the servants knew, <laughs> he called the bridegroom over. And this is what he says. A host always serves the best wine first, he says. Then when everybody has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. Everybody knows that, why that would be, right? <laughs> because, you know, when you have too much wine, you don't really taste the good wine anymore, right? Everybody understands that, right? But he says, but you have kept the best until now. This is the thing I, I don't want you to miss. Jesus created fantastic wine for what? To be enjoyed at this reception. Not some cheap generic stuff. And then the writer tells us this in verse 11. The mirac this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. So, so don't miss this. Food, drink, but food was involved when Jesus revealed himself for the first time. Hmm. 
One of the biggest miracles that Jesus was involved in, you guys know this story, is he provided an all-you-can-eat meal for a crowd of probably around 10 to 15,000 people, researchers believe. Take a look, Luke 9. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. I... I I just got to stop. I don't know how this miracle happened. I don't know the sequence of it, but just think about it. I mean, my mind just kind of rolls. I mean, did they like walk up with like trays and Jesus has got, you know, the five loaves and and fish and and, and so he's like, um, okay. So he just starts breaking it off and and the guys are like, wow, there's a lot lot more bread there than I thought there was. I mean, did the miracle happen then or did he just give them a few pieces because it was only five, right? And they're small. Did he just give them a few pieces? And then, so Peter goes out to serve. And by the time he hits the crowd, he's like, whoa, what happened? It just multiplied. I don't know. I don't know how the miracle happened. Did Peter, like he had just a few pieces and he started giving out to people and he just never ran out? I don't know. But something happened. Because they started distributing it. To the people, and it says they all ate, get this, as much as they wanted. Now, this is a huge catered event, right? If you're talking 5,000 men, you're probably talking at least 10,000 people, maybe more. Five loaves, two fish. Hmm. Look what it says. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets. Of leftovers. Have you ever thought about how many times Jesus used food or or shared food with people? How many times Jesus had meals with people? Mealtime provides an opportunity for Jesus to gather disciples, followers, listeners to introduce them to the kingdom of God. He ate with people so much that the religious leaders they accused Jesus of being a glutton. You know what a glutton is? Overweight. Severely overweight. Like food is your obsession. And they accused Jesus of being that. Why? Because he ate so much with people. In fact, he was always eating, they said, with tax collectors and sinners. He's always eating with the riffraff. He's always eating with the bad people. They accused Jesus of that. Many of Jesus' famous teachings center around food. The party thrown for the prodigal son at his return. The beggar Lazarus wanting to eat from the rich man's table. And what about the time that Jesus even called himself food? Do you guys know this story? It says in John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the what? Bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Again, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think one of the most beautiful displays of worship was at a meal. We read in John 12 that Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus. Who was Lazarus? Anybody know? It was the guy that Jesus raised back to life. The guy had been dead four days when Jesus got there, and he raised his friend back to life. This is Lazarus. He was there. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, it says. Mary served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Notice that who ate with him. What's it like to eat with a guy who came back to life? Hmm. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard 
and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. This is the best part. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Do you think that was a meal that no one forgot? I'm sure it was. After Jesus comes back to life, raises back to life, he appears to his disciples and others. And I think it's interesting that one of the things he does is he even cooks a meal for them in John 21. Look at this. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now come and have breakfast, Jesus said. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since, they had been, since he had been raised from the dead. I also find it interesting that food was involved in helping two disciples become aware of the resurrected Jesus. You may know this story in Luke 24. I mean, these two disciples had left Jerusalem and they were headed back to the, the village of Emmaus. And, and Jesus joined them on the walk and he was walking and talking with them and they didn't realize that it was even Jesus. And look what it says, verse 28. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey and Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So, when, so he went home with them, notice this part right here, as they sat down to what? Eat. Here's another meal. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now why did they recognize him? Why did they, these two disciples recognize Jesus when he took the bread and he broke it? Well, we know, right? I mean, one of the most relational times that Jesus had with his closest 12 followers was in his last meal with them before he faced the cross. Luke 22, it says that Jesus... And the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this meal with you. He took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to the disciples. I thought a great way, not only because this this passage was going to be a part of our study, but I thought a great way to start our new year was to gather around the Lord's table for communion. So I'm going to ask if the elements could be served and hold that cup and cracker until everybody's been served, and then we're going to, we're going to eat together. But this is, this is what they knew. This is what the disciples knew. They knew Jesus through meals, sharing a meal together, eating together. And to have this meal be the one that is the most memorable. In fact, the Apostle Paul then, go ahead and serve. The Apostle Paul then says, this is the meal that we all should remember. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that. He says that, you know, what I, what I have received, I then share with you on the night that Jesus was betrayed. We know that passage. And so today, this is what we do. We come together to enjoy a meal together with, with Jesus. Luke tells us that he broke it in pieces 
and he gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a very meaningful moment for the followers of Jesus. It should be a meaningful moment for us to realize what Jesus has provided in his body. Remember, he wanted this to be the most intimate relational moment with his followers. And he's showing them that I want to be in a relationship with you so much. I want you to be in a relationship with me so much. I want you to be in a relationship with God the Father so much that I'm willing to give my life for it. That's how important it was. Let's eat the cracker and remember today. supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's thank him for this cup, Jesus. Thank you for not only your body that you gave for us, but this cup and what it represents. This cup of juice shows us that you gave your blood for us so that we could experience forgiveness overflowing. And we thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. And we celebrate you today. Let's drink together. The part that has, um, even, even before the service today, we had our music team, we were rehearsing with our tech team. And we had communion together as a team. The part that has grabbed me all week and I haven't been able to let go of it is the part that we always overlook in that story. We don't highlight it, but I think, I think we need to. It says, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, look at these words, I have been very eager to eat this meal with you. All, all week, I've been thinking about how Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. And he wants to share a meal with us. And he wants us to want that too. And so often, I don't know about you, but I, I come into communion and I hold the cracker and I hold the cup. <coughs> and I miss the importance. I miss what Jesus is trying to create. The environment that he wants with me relationship that he wants with me. This, this is all relational. That I would taste and see that he, the Lord, is good. And I think so often we miss that. We miss the fact that everything that Jesus did was relationship building with us, with me, with you. I mean, look, look at the end of time I mean, in Revelation 3, it talks about this, but, but Jesus is, is standing at a door, it says. Look at it. It says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And a lot of times that's where we stop. I don't know about you, but I've heard this verse so many times with, with a thrust of reaching out to people and having them experience Jesus for the first time in salvation kind of verse. But if you keep reading, it says, 
you know, that I will come in and we will what? Share a meal together <coughs> as friends. Hmm. Unfortunately, our modern world makes it so easy for us to miss the significance of a meal. So easy for us to miss the enjoyment of a meal. With our hurried lives and our busy schedules, many of us find ourselves grabbing anything that's quick and easy to eat. And sure, it's food, but it's not a meal to be enjoyed. Friends, over the next several weeks, our goal is for you to taste and see that the Lord is good. In everything that we're putting together, songs, um, our display, our message, our focus, everything. We, we want you over the next several weeks to taste and see that the Lord is good. Through these two senses, I, I don't want you to miss that we are invited to become more aware of God and His everyday, aromatic, savory, sweet expressions of His goodness in our lives. That we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. An author that I enjoy have enjoyed for years now, Margaret Feinberg, she says this, God has connected our bodies and bellies to our spirits and our souls. Don't you love that? It's true. It's to be an all senses in kind of experience. To taste and see. It's how God has designed us. And so the question I want to leave you with today is what are you hungry for? Now, I'm not talking, you know, a bag of nacho cheese Doritos, Brooke. I'm not talking about a cheeseburger. What is your soul hungry for? For, for this year, what, do you, what are you hungry for in life? Jesus wants to feed my soul more than my belly. I want you to get that down. He wants to feed my soul. He wants to feed your soul more than your belly. And so... You and I, you know, we need, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need it. I need it. We need to experience it this year. Would you bow your heads with me?